0: You're listening to Positivity Strategist. Welcome to our third season, where I'll be focusing on leaders and leading in an appreciative and positive way across a range of industries and professions. What does it mean? How do they do it? What results do they achieve for their people, their organizations, and their own careers? How do they inspire? Hi there, this is Robin Stratton-Burk your host. I'm talking today to a person whose contributions to the world exudes appreciative leading. When I came up with this season's affirmative topic of appreciative leading, Peter Pula was the first and obvious choice in the profession of journalism. I wanted him to share with us his craft and art as a journalist and his vision and practice to transform journalism. Peter has been leading in the creation, the practice, and development of generative journalism as an agent of healing and social evolution in communities, networks, and organizations. Peter founded Axiom News, an online news medium, about 16 years ago. Is that correct, Peter? That is. Okay. He also founded and led a community newspaper and a corporate communications agency, Now, let me tell you, if you're looking for intellectual, heartfelt, life-changing, life-affirming, human-to-human stories, Axiom News is the site to visit, axiomnews.com. Peter, I thank you so much for being here with me today.
1: You're welcome. Thank you for having me.
0: Now, Peter, when I reached out to you to be a guest on this topic of appreciative leading, you have a sense why I did that, didn't you?
1: I suppose I did. <laughs>
0: <laughs> what was that sense?
1: Well, we had uh, we had uh, crossed paths a number of times over the years, and um, we had a shared interest in the practice of uh, appreciative inquiry as a way to cultivate strengths in people and in their social ecologies to create the communities and the lives that they wish to create. So I guess uh, it would make sense that the two of us being interested in media and that approach to uh, whole life and community, that we would uh, find our way back to each other to have this conversation.
0: That's right. And we first crossed paths around 10 years ago and we actually met in Ghent, right, at an Appreciative Inquiry Global Conference.
1: That's right. I can't believe it was that long ago already. I
0: know. It's wonderful. When did you first know that you wanted to be a journalist?
1: Probably uh, before the ages of even 10 or 11. I always had a penchant for um, newspapers. I had picked them up, uh, antique versions of them when we were touring around the world. My family was in mining, so I got to... Uh, travel quite a bit and I was always drawn to current events and especially in the newspaper forum. So when I graduated from university, I was still very much addicted to newspapers and um, jumped right into starting a a newspaper straight out of university.
0: Mm -hmm. And what about um, generative journalism? Firstly, what is generative journalism?
1: Well, I like to say that if uh, journalism or a work of journalism is going to be considered to be generative, it has to uh, have the capacity or capability of bringing um, something new to life or giving birth to something new. So that's one of the, the main criteria. So we're always looking through our inquiry and the way we ask questions to discover the emerging future as uh, as the people that we're speaking with envision it. And uh, are working towards it, so that's really the the key of it is the capacity to bring the new to life and to generate and create mm. life in the process. Mm.
0: So it has that future um, orientation.
1: It does. With uh, and I, I want to be careful about that because the there is a, a tendency and a lot of. Um, change work to become so focused on the future that we we lose what's present and before us. So in a lot of cases, the, the leading from the emerging future really does have to be, or I find it, is always rooted in the materials at hand and the people who show up and the giftedness in the room. So there's this sense that there is a future emerging, but uh, the trick is to not get lost in imagining a future, but actually working with what is here, in order to discover what is emerging. So it's very much a forward-moving thing, but uh, always with the attitude of being present to the moment.
0: Right. And I can see why appreciative inquiry and other processes such as Theory U, I know that that's important to you, and a lot of different kind of community Um, methodologies which are about engaging conversations and bringing the community together. There's also that piece of, you know, discovering the best of the past, right? Mm -hmm. So bringing that forward.
1: Yes, the things that we want to hold on to as we bring in new things.
0: Yeah, Yeah, that's great. And so what else could you say about how appreciative inquiry has impacted you as a journalist?
1: Hmm. Well, appreciative inquiry, I've made the mistake more than once. I continue to make it uh, thinking that I'm the only one out there working on things. So when I started the grassroots review in 1992, I'd had the idea that everything that a community required to achieve its aspirations were already present in that community. What we just needed was someone to ask the right questions and tell the stories that arise out of asking those questions. And it was um, a colleague in the newsroom that introduced me at that time to the work of uh, John McKnight and Asset-Based Community Development. And I thought, hey, this is wonderful. This um, well-thought-out um, school of work helps me understand why what we were doing was working and also to transcend what we were doing and uh, therefore be able to move forward. And then a very similar thing happened with Appreciative Inquiry. Uh, it was mm-hmm. some local work we were doing here and, an executive director uh, in town was studying with um, David Cooper writer at the time. And she introduced us to appreciative inquiry and was like, Holy mackerel, here we go again. Now I can, <laughs> uh, there's more understanding and more, uh, more to work with in terms of conceptual clarity about how and how and why working from a strengths uh, based approach makes sense and how it actually brings about change. There's a whole community of people around the world that are doing things this way. So appreciative inquiry uh, brought to me anyway a great number of um, concepts, like very straightforward ones, the 4Ds, for example. So they're, most of the interviews we structure follow those follow those patterns. Um, the Encyclopedia of Positive Questions was something I must have bought dozens of copies for each person in the newsroom over the years to rely on. You can flip through those and find a, a great... Um, set of inquiry questions around just about any topic and pick and choose those and to design your own. So the, the body of work that had been done that, that helped us understand how our questions uh, can shape culture and shape change uh, and catalyze um, new things into life, uh, but also the community. I've met so many wonderful people in the appreciative inquiry community that have helped uh, me and my colleagues um, feel very much that we're we're not alone, um, and that there is a, a marvelous community of people that are working on um, very like hearted things. And that's a big that's a big deal when you're working in the question of positive or constructive or generative change. Is uh, the SWOT analysis doesn't necessarily look kindly on us because we're not focusing on weakness. Mm. So. It's um, it's important to have a community when you're when you're working to cultivate uh, generative change.
0: Yeah, and Peter, I'm also aware that um, you have invested a lot in your own personal development um, and professional development. We've already kind of alluded to some of that. So what's been what's been your motivation there to you know to really go deep into some of these things that are probably outside, and I don't know this, but could Hmm. be outside what one might think um, a journalist might pursue in terms of their own growth?
1: Hmm. That's a fairly provocative question. Well, I guess where I'm going uh, inside myself with this is uh, I've always had this notion that the job of the journalist is to learn in public and uh, to be prepared to be open in inquiry, to be uh, vulnerable and open to learning, and to be prepared to share one's journey um, through their work in a public way. And so that would um, very much call a person into uh to some degree, going first. Uh, mm. I remember it was Greet Bowen at the Appreciative Inquiry Conference in Ghent to first introduce me to this idea of presence. She asked, uh, where does this idea of presence land in your work in generative journalism? And at the time, I, I kind of screwed my nose up and said, I don't, I don't really know, I don't really get it. Mm. But over the years, I started to realize that uh, to be a deeply healing practitioner of this work to be present to the people that we're, we're um, interviewing and speaking and learning from is, a, is an important part of it. Um, it's very easy to go in t- as a journalist into a particular situation, say, I know the story I want. I'm going to ask the questions that are going to that are going to get me that story. And a lot of newsrooms are structured that way. Um, journalists are sent out to get the story on. And so you come in with an awful lot of biases that can actually cause you to miss the story that's actually there. Mm-hmm. And so being present to others without, while well, being aware of one's own biases, being aware of one's, um, which what I am bringing into the room as a, a host to that conversation Um how I might react to something that I've heard rather than simply be present and curious about what I'm hearing from a person. Um, mm. To be present to the questions that arise out of that curiosity. Um, and that I find in some of the community hosting work I do is is also um, challenging, um, but is also something to honor. If I can sure. learn to be... Still and present enough to await the question that seems to want to be asked, um, I very often discover something about the the relationship or something about what's happening um, that I wouldn't have otherwise discovered so learning to be present uh, requires off had for me required a great deal of um, personal growth and uh, willingness to be open and vulnerable uh, in the world and in the work while also being sensible and strong.
0: Hmm. Yeah, and what I am taking from that is it's very much focused on the co-creative piece, like we're in this together and I think with the development that I know that you've done and what you're talking about now, it's that's been an evolution. And perhaps is that what led you, Peter, to start creating the hosting events that you did, for example, with the Peterborough Dialogues?
1: Yeah, I, I'm not sure what the cause and the effect were. Um, the, the impetus to start the Peterborough Dialogues was really... Working from generative principles and working uh, in generative inquiry, we continued to run into generative people, and a lot of those generative people were hosting community conversations. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so uh, we kept we kept being um, called into this this question of um, community and generativity. And at the same time, uh, many of the people that were working this way and living this way uh, were very much making the case that uh, to do work in place, so in our own homes, uh, in our own um, geographical areas, was a really important question around, this is another, I think it was the World Appreciative Businesses Agent to World Benefit Conference?
0: Mm-hmm. That's not right. The Global Forum. Yeah. Yeah, there's a series of Global Forums. We had the fourth one like two years ago.
1: Right. Okay. So I think it was Bill McDonough, uh, author of Cradle to Cradle, uh, posed uh-huh. the question what does it mean to be indigenous? Wow. Indigenous to our neighborhood, to our town, to our city, to our province, nation, the universe. Yeah, mm-hmm. that question has been working mm. ever since, and as a result, uh, very much uh, mm. structured to some degree. This idea that uh, we really ought to do work in place, if we are going to do mm. work, place is a mm. powerful partner. And um, Peter Block introduced the idea that community is what's happened. What happens when we're stuck with each other? <laughs> Yeah, and so to be generative in a in a place based setting um, was very much the call. Mm. Yeah,
0: do you think? Do you think that increases a sense of belonging?
1: Absolutely. I, I've become um, yes, it does because we're we're bonded by our place and we're bound by place. I think what's happening with uh, the way communication works now is that we are exposed to so much that, um, of course, the beneficial side of that is that we can learn from others and have access to this vast amount of knowledge and wisdom. But by the same token, we can also be bombarded by news and influences um, that can overwhelm Mm. us in that we suddenly can also see all of the problems of the world, but they're somewhat dissociated from us and and cause dissociation within us because we don't have any agency. There's very little we can do about Mm. any of these things. Mm. Whereas In place, we can actually become aware of um, the people in the place. There is something to proximity as well in terms of shaping resonance between two or more people, actually Mm. being knee-to-knee or in a small circle in physical proximity, changes the capacity for resonance and for uh, generativity. Very nice. So doing that work in community um, with place as a, as a container and as a boundary, uh, as well as, like I said, knee-to-knee in and, and intimate settings with uh, provocative questions and good hosting, as well as a storytelling capacity, Those seem to me to be like the ingredients of um, the next step in social evolution.
0: Mm -hmm. So, Peter, I want to quote um, you (laughs) from one of your many, many beautiful um, pieces on Axiom News. And I'm reading that now, and I'll I'll put a link to this in our show notes page and let me remind people that they are listening to positivitystrategist.com slash p. 107 that's the episode that um, we're recording here so here's the quote Peter and it relates to community that you're referencing earlier imagine what community life would be like if each of us was seen and heard if our gifts were recognized and enlivened if we as community members came together to create the things we wanted to see what if, in our uniqueness and diversity, we were supported in our goals by those near to us and they were supported in their goals by us? Mm. What are you discovering? Mm. Beauty. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, a great deal of beauty.
0: What else imagine you're seeing a room where people are in conversation knee to knee knee to knee, kind of this energy is is being experienced so you know what's that like? Mm. How are you touched
1: The idea of uh, resonance um, again I, I would I've so many times experienced that uh, I have an experience or find myself in a practice of some sort um, through these methods of inquiry that uh, I've, I've been learning and in part through the appreciative inquiry community. That the experience in the practice for me often precedes the theory or the idea. So, resonance as an idea was something that came after some of the experiences. Mm-hmm. And these experiences were very often accompanied by f- physical sensations, where um, suddenly you'd sense that a small group of people in one of our dialogues um, had given life to what I call a third voice or a resonance, and you can f- you can feel the shift in the room. And sometimes it's accompanied uh, by, for me, uh, tingling down the spine or mm-hmm. in the forehead or um, a welling up of tears or um, sparkles in eyes or tingles in knees. So it, <laughs> it sort of uh, arises in um, my own body that way, uh, and you can sense it. In the room. And when that happens, uh, I'd say a collected versus a collective wisdom appears, where suddenly uh, people are saying things that they might not have even contemplated before knowingly. Mm -hmm. And those words of wisdom then land with another person or with two or three people in ways that are very different than the reasons the thing was spoken in the first place. And then one of those people might then share something that's arising in them that then speaks to the room similarly. And suddenly we find that people are experiencing what I would call resonance, and therefore they have become quite... um, They're experiencing their own uniqueness. They're experiencing... Um, Mm -hmm. the gift that others bring. They are seeing the Mm -hmm. diversity and the unique character of each person. They are experiencing what it is to be connected to one another. They're experiencing what it is to be seen and to see others because Mm -hmm. this sort of deeper awareness of another uh, can be striking sometimes. So you sense the power and the beauty of the people in the room and then the group as a whole. So I think when I, when you ask, you know, what are we discovering? It's, um, this capacity for resonance, which by the way has some very practical implications because the people who have come through those kinds of experiences very much are still at work and connected through the community. And, uh, as a result, I think, I believe hold the field if you'd like for others who come into these conversations and they also hold space and hold the field for other generative activities that arise in the community. So I think what we are discovering, another friend of mine says that the next saints will not be individuals, but communities. <laughs> and I think that's what we're beginning to understand, um, in an embodied way. And we're understanding how to cultivate it and, uh, how to live a life in it.
0: Mm, Yeah. So that's very powerful. Um, I wanted to add very often people feel very affirmed and validated because they are seen and heard and their ideas get built on, right? As you're been talking about but I think that additional piece is like it's whilst I might be affirmed I also have a stronger sense of that doesn't matter so much because I have this community um so it's just an interesting tension between I'm feeling great about myself but I'm I don't care about that so much. It's just this community that's supporting me. And collectively and together, we there are things that we can do and we know we care about. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. I agree. And what seems to be um, very important is for people to be in relationship enough to take that step into their own giftedness.
0: Gorgeous. Mm.
1: And that seems to make the difference. I uh, yeah. feel that. Well, something that, uh, that I've come to believe is that um, offering the gifts that we have to give to community seems very risky because the question for a lot of us remains, well, what if nobody wants it? Another question sometimes we have is maybe my gift isn't very useful so when we find ourselves in deep work and community and uh, a group of people have been part of uh, illuminating for us the gifts that we do bring naturally and that we offer and that we are um when they've been part of that journey with us and in support of us we become uh we start to understand that that we are and our gifts are welcomed by the community and that we are supported by the people that have helped us understand that and that gives us a chance to then step into actually bringing things to life through those gifts because we have the support of those relationships
0: a lot of this is around telling each other stories you know discovering what we have in common, what we care about, what we can aspire to, what we dream about. And so I have another quote for you and I'm going to actually – so this is what you you said, uh, Peter, in another article which I'll reference. You said that the stories we tell shape our culture. Journalism as a civic art to be of real assistance to democracy has a few things to overcome – now, I want, to, I want to ask that as, a, as an appreciative question <laughs> mm. because things to overcome implies to me that you're going to go to the deficit and talk about all the things that aren't working, right?
1: Fair enough, and that's probably exactly <laughs> what I do. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's part of the, the whole Peter, right?
1: Yes, exactly.
0: Um, <laughs> so here's my, re, here's my way of asking that question. What does journalism need to learn if we are to accept it as a civic art that can be of real assistance to democracy?
1: Mm. Good question. Well, a couple of things come to mind. Um, The first one that came to mind was the question of inquiry Mm. and for journalism to get uh, generative in its inquiry. So... I know that in some journalism schools, a lot of them, uh, I've come across, uh, I've had great conversations with young journalists, uh, particularly of late, and I know that they're still very much being taught the question of objectivity and very much a rational approach to who, what, when, who, what, when where, and why. Mm-hmm. And in many cases, those the inquiry is around reporting events, and from a very objective perspective. So what I encourage is development of and a willingness to be a subjective participant in community mm. as a journalist. So not a, not a bystander and not a so-called professional observer and not a scientist, but a member of the community and a citizen first mm. who happens to have uh excellent story um, telling skills has a sense and a perspective of a, community, of a community that most people won't have because journalists do have the opportunity to speak to many, many people um, as their daily work. So if they can then stand with community, with the very clear purpose of um, developing and cultivating community, mm-hmm. and to learn uh, the arts of inquiry as some of the great Question asking communities uh, have learned, like appreciative inquiry and um, ABCD and other communities. There are marvelous uh, approaches to questions that uh, are available mm-hmm. to journalists. So, those two things one, a willingness to be um, a subjective and committed participant in the development of community through the journalistic arts, and uh, to develop um, skills in generative questioning.
0: Mm-hmm yeah um and I think when you talk about this perspective of being objective, we know through the principle um, of social construction that you know how we choose to see the world is very much dependent on our own worldview, and so it's how we see the world is how we're going to start interpreting the world right mm-hmm. so it is that relational process that I think is, is what you're doing with your hosting of community conversations and being in community and as a member of community. So it all comes around that full circle of it's about community.
1: Mm-hmm. Hmm. It does. And as a, as a community dialogue host, something I learned was that I have to be prepared to be changed by the experience myself. Yes. And I think it's the same with generative journalism. To be a generative journalist, uh, one is very much helped in that path by being prepared to be changed by each conversation. And if you are truly open to that, then you very quickly become a force of generativity or you offer an energy of generativity that isn't there if you remain more closed.
0: That is so beautifully said. I think that's a perfect place to end this conversation Today, Very good. With those beautiful words. So thank you very much again, Peter, for being with me today on Positivity Strategist podcast.
1: Thank you very much, Robin.
0: If you have questions or ideas that you'd like to hear discussed on upcoming episodes and possibly participate in our show, go to positivitystrategist.com forward slash podcast Where you can submit your ideas or leave me a voicemail. I will respond. And also, if you appreciate this show, I'd love you to share that by leaving a review on iTunes or Stitcher. Also, you can be notified of new episodes by email. Links to all these suggestions are available on PositivityStrategist.com forward slash podcast. Thank you for listening and remember What you focus on grows, so grow towards your best.